As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, February 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior, continuing our depth chart diving series, moving from the AL West last Tuesday to the NL West today. On this series, what we're doing is taking a spin through five depth charts per show, looking for playing time battles of interest, and just trying to highlight anything of interest to us as we await the conclusion, the eventual conclusion of the current owner-imposed lockout. So we are kicking things off today with the Dodgers, where the Corey Seager departure was pretty well planned for, I think, with the acquisition of Trey Turner last summer, Al. That plus the universal DH situation, though, it's pretty good for Gavin Lux because they had Turner playing second base when Seager was still on the team. I assume Turner just becomes the everyday shortstop. Now you've got this clear path at second base. We saw Gavin Lux playing in the outfield. As it stands now, am I wrong to pencil Gavin Lux in for an easy 500 plate appearances? And I think my my comp is actually Jock Peterson in his last full season with the Dodgers. He had 514, and he was a clear big side platoon player. And Jock Peterson couldn't play in the infield where Gavin Lux can play in addition to at least being capable of, of playing left and center and, and right, depending on who's available and who's hurt. Yeah, Jack Peterson provides a really nice comp because my knee-jerk response to that is, yeah, 500 feels a little aggressive. And I think if there's um, one reason perhaps why that comp doesn't work, it's just because at that point by 2019, Jack Peterson had established himself pretty well. And at this point, Lux is still trying to establish himself as a regular. And I just worry that maybe the bat isn't going to be enough for him to to register those 500 plus uh, plate appearances. So, you know, that said, when you look at the alternatives as things currently stand, I think it's a, it's a fair number, you know, somewhere right around 500. But uh, in the last episode, you asked me to, you know, do some over-unders. I would take the under on it maybe by a little uh, if, if forced to, but that, that seems fair. Yeah, and maybe it's it's a frustrating pattern at times when everyone's healthy, Maybe we have some leagues where Lux isn't playing quite enough uh, for, I don't know, 10 or 12 team mixed leagues. That's a possibility. 
But I, I still believe in the bat. The main reason I believe in the bat, if you go back to his uh, more extensive time at AAA, I believe that was a 2019 season, Gavin Lux posted one of the best AAA seasons really that we've ever seen for a guy that wasn't an old guy at AAA. He had a 163 WRC plus, just off the charts good. I know it was the year of the rabbit ball. The plate discipline's always been good. I think the up and down nature of how he's been handled on the roster, it, that impacts a lot of players. I don't think this is just a Gavin Lux thing. I know he had an issue with COVID in 2020 as well, so his shortened season was as weird as a shortened season could be. I'm still on the throw it outside when it comes to the 2020 results generally. I think, yes, you could walk into a bear trap that is multiple years of regression. Like if you ignore that and you see some of the down year in 2021 and you're sure they're going to bounce back in 2022, well, you you will probably miss on some. I will probably miss on some with this process. But in this case, we're talking about a, a 24-year-old who was still trying to figure out big league pitching uh, and you know, for his career, there's nothing to get excited. A 233, 314, 368 line, nothing to get excited about in those those numbers on the surface. But he's run a little bit. He's an efficient base dealer, 7 for 8 so far. He's already shown a little bit of game pop. The scouting reports always pointed to him having a lot more than you know, mid-teens home run power. So it's trusting the eyes of the people that do that really well and then looking at some of those past results and it's still holding on to that optimism plus price wise it's not going to take much to get lux in drafts right now yeah that's the thing i mean you can take the optimistic view and not have to risk very much to to pursue that but you know lux is one of those players where you can come up with uh different you know widely different narratives about how the season could go for him and have that narrative be pretty convincing and you know i just for whatever reason i've been steering towards the the negative one focusing on the fact that that triple a season that you mentioned not only was in the year of the rabbit ball but was only a partial season as he started the year in double a uh and that overall those numbers and you know when you talk about a wrc plus you know that was you know what well over 160 um there's obviously room to to regress and still be very good, but um, he had a 451 BABIP that inflated everything. So yeah, I'm looking at everything that could go wrong with Gavin Lux, including the playing time. But like you said, you might as well take the the gamble on the upside because it's not really going to cost you anything. I think the tricky part of this is that you could be the optimist like me and believe in him and still end up in leagues and mixed leagues, especially where you might have to cut him at some point. So if you have the draft day attachment or if you have the FOMO of, of missing out on a young player who does figure it out after you cut him and you know you're that kind of player, you could run into some extra trouble that way too. Uh, interesting that the barrel rate did dip in 2021. It was a little higher in the brief times he was in the big leagues in 2019 and 2020. A hard hit rate wasn't bad, 40.2%. Like Imagine if you looked at a hard hit rate leaderboard next to a barrel rate leaderboard. There wouldn't be a lot of 40% hard hit rates with 3.9% barrel rates, but uh, probably a problem of also occasionally hitting the ball on the ground when he hits it hard, right? Like that's the that's the thing too. We need him to get the ball in the air more often to do a lot of damage. Uh, but I think if I dig around on this depth chart and I'm looking for sleepers every year, I am looking for pitchers. I'm looking for guys who, because of injuries, because of the way the Dodgers manage innings, because of anything else that might open up innings, who could actually step up and be more useful than expected. And for me, 
that pitcher this year is Mitch White. I, I think there's a ton to like in his profile. I know he does pretty well in both the Stuff Plus and Location Plus models um, that Eno Saris uh, talks about a lot. Uh, it, it, I guess it supports these underlying skills, right? A 24.9% K rate last year, 8.6% walk rate. You'd like that to be a little lower, but you can certainly work with that. Home run rate was okay, even though it was a little on the higher side, but not bad. 1.16 homers per nine. Across the board, this looks like a guy that could be maybe their new Ross Stripling. That's always what I'm looking for. Like, Who's the glue guy? Who's the guy that maybe is shuttled between the rotation and the bullpen, but is giving you high-quality innings nonetheless? Because players like that, especially in NL-only leagues and AL-only leagues, in the case of you know non-Dodgers, uh, and of course draft-and-hold leagues where you can't make moves, they tend to find ways into your lineup. Yeah, and I think White is a good candidate, like you said, to be the the stripling this year, somebody that you could get to in the reserve rounds and uh, be maybe be able to to be a mainstay in your rotation, uh, you know, even if it's the latter part of it. But also, you know, when we're talking about players that we're getting late, I think I'd be maybe more inclined to gamble on the upside of Ryan Pepio. And I think, you know, it's funny because when we talk about the Dodgers, it's always a question of, you know, where there's going to be room for all these innings. But as things stand right now, I mean, it looks like there could be room for White and and maybe for Pepio at some point this year. And, you know, a younger pitcher uh, with, with strikeout potential uh, who maybe could make a bigger impact. So White's kind of the safe guy, particularly if you're really looking to fill some innings. But uh, I imagine that maybe I'd be more likely to, to be drafting Pepio. Yeah, I would agree. Pepio, I think, does bring a higher ceiling. I wonder I wonder how much they want to see from him at AAA once he got to that level. The ERA, the whip, both jumped up through the roof. He was still missing a lot of bats. Really good sign. Has a little bit of a walk issue, but it's kind of more like the the Blake Snell sort of profile. You're getting a lot of strikeouts with those walks. Freddie Peralta profile where it, it can work if he's just so filthy that he's not giving up a lot of hits and he does a good job tempering home runs so definitely a, a really good high ceiling player uh, that should arrive at some point in 2022 for the Dodgers shifting the focus over to the bullpen for a moment I'm adamant that Blake Trinan is a gem in drafts right now if Kenley Jansen goes elsewhere because he's absolutely filthy we saw that on full display last year he's been an elite closer before his ADP in February over at the NFBC is 187 overall he's going to go up a hundred spots in ADP if Kenley Jansen signs somewhere else after the lockout. If Kenley Jansen goes to the Rangers, the Marlins, or wherever you want to put him, whatever the bullpen somewhere else you want to put Kenley Jansen in, Blake Trinan becomes a huge ADP riser if that happens. I think you're probably right, but it surprises me a little bit that that hasn't been happening already because I think you need to make the presumption that Trinan could could very well fill that role. And, you know, we talked about this in an earlier episode, DVR, that uh, relievers are just going so early. The elite ones are going earlier than I can ever remember them going in the past. And as long as uh, trying to stays out of that elite tier, and I think even after the ADP shift occurs, assuming again that the Jansen signs elsewhere, uh, I, I think that he'll be low enough in ADP that I could see drafting him a lot as an RP1 for this year. Uh, you know, great skills rebound in 2021. Dodgers do tend to uh, go with, you know, one reliever in that role. And I don't think China would be a, a performance risk that he'd be somebody they'd be looking to to supplement. So uh, 
yeah, I, I, I'm real excited about his chances this year. Yeah, if we knew right now that Trinan was going to be the Dodgers' closer to open the season, like it's his job, and only an injury or a collapse would cause him to lose it, I would take Blake Trinan straight up over Araldus Chapman. Like, not even, oh yeah, not even thinking twice about it. It, it probably. I mean, you could look at Trinan versus Edwin Diaz in that scenario, and that becomes a toss-up. Trinan versus Ryan Presley, that's probably where I would top out in terms of ADP. That's like the pick 70 range is where Presley and Diaz are going. So yeah, maybe more than 100 picks is a possibility if we get the news that we're looking for in that Dodgers bullpen. And I think Kenley Jansen going somewhere else is good because I think any team that signs Kenley Jansen somewhere else probably wants him to be their closer. So then we have a little more confidence in him, whereas if he gets a one-year deal to go back to the Dodgers, he's got a loaded bullpen looming over his shoulder. They're at that point in his career where on a shorter deal, they might be more willing to make that change that they had not been willing to make in previous years. So while it will be strange to see Kenley Jansen in a new uniform, that is the outcome that I am rooting for. Sorry if that upsets you Dodgers fans. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to the Giants depth chart where opportunity is knocking for Joey Bart. I'm a little worried about the elevated K rate that we saw at AAA last year because we know the the level of competition, the gap between AAA and the big leagues is very wide right now. Some think it's as wide as it's ever been. I tend to be in that camp. And if you look at the other catcher they currently have on the roster, Kirk Casale, his career high at MLB plate appearances is 256. Came all the way back in 2016 with the Rays. So it really looks like they're going to do one of two things. Uh, well, there's three outcomes. Add someone from the outside, if you trade or free agency, that's obviously a possibility. Let it ride and see what happens with Bart and then figure it out later. And that would probably be the scenario where Casale starts playing more later or flip it and let Casale start to begin the year and ease Bart in to see where the K rate is at. So two and three are pretty similar, but is there... Is there confidence for you that Joey Bart is actually going to take a big step forward and deliver on some of the prospect uh, potential that he had? Because I, I think it's hard to find good catchers. This is a lineup that puts a lot of runs on the board. He's got pop. I I could, I could easily see him just being a top 10 catcher because of the state of the position if he can bring the K rate down a little bit. Yeah, that's a big if, of course. And you figure a player like Bart we'll be able to do that at some point. Uh, but again, with catchers, you know, it's, it's sometimes it never does happen. It seems like uh, more often than maybe at other positions. And when you look at what, uh, what Bart's done in the minors, I mean, the, the power has been decent, but if that K rate is, you know, hovering around 30, 35%, 
he's not only indistinguishable from the the bulk of catchers, but in in some ways, you know, he's worse because you don't know if that power is going to translate, especially given what his home his home park is. So, I yeah, I'm not particularly optimistic about Joey Bart this year. Uh, you know, that said, this is somebody you expect would make the the, the transition to the majors. Um, you know, complete that transition and, and fulfill his potential at some point could be this year, but I'd, I'd hate to overpay for that. I've been letting him go by in that range so far. We're talking about a pick 275 or so in terms of February ADP. Uh, Carson Kelly goes in that range. I think Carson Kelly is going to play a lot. Well, we're going to talk about the D-backs a little later in the show. I don't think we're going to get to Varsho specifically, but they can coexist. Varsho plays the outfield. He can play center field. Uh, I look at the other catchers that go in this range. Max Stassi is a little safer to me. I think Yadier Molina, if you're just looking for an accumulator, I think we saw some some skills decline last year, but he's still going to play a lot. You're not asking questions about plate appearances with him the way that you are with Bart, and you're asking skills questions too. Here's a, a good toss-up for you. Eric Haas in Detroit or Joey Bart? For 2022 only, to get the added bonus, Eric Haas actually has some outfield eligibility. Not that you'd want to use him there, but if you had to, you'd at least have the option to. I'm skeptical enough about Haas's performance in 2021 that I would go Bart there. But that, yeah, that's a really interesting one. And I think that's as much a referendum of uh, what you thought of Haas's season last year as it is about Bart's potential. So, yeah, I think that's pretty close to where I'd be drawing the line. It's just kind of a bummer that, you know, if you went back a few years and you said, oh, Joey Bart, wow, he's blocked by Buster Posey. What You know, it's going to take forever to get that opportunity. The opportunity comes at a time that Bart should be ready for it. And I think we're we're just a little skeptical that he's, in fact, going to be capable of holding down the larger share of that uh, playing time behind the plate in San Francisco. Uh, I want to talk about Seiya Suzuki for a moment because I believe the Giants are among the finalists to potentially add him after the lockout. And this is a team that has plenty of opportunities in the outfield again. They got by last season mixing and matching and, and leveraging their depth at AAA about as effectively as any team in the league. So uh, just a basic question on Suzuki with the price he's going for right now and, and what he has demonstrated as a pro in Japan to this point in his career, regardless of Park, are you just flat out interested because if he went to the Giants or any of the teams that are interested in him, he's clearly going to be a big part of their plan. I think in San Francisco, I have a difficult time seeing him get more than the occasional day off. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he could hit right in the middle of that lineup, produce a lot of runs and where he's going in terms of ADP. I mean, you look at, at a lot of the names around him, Enrique Hernandez, Michael Conforto, Jesus Sanchez, Adam Duvall. I mean, it's an absolute no brainer that Suzuki would be a great player to target there. And, you know, even if it, it doesn't work out uh, and, and he, you know, winds up not signing, uh, you know, most likely what you're missing out on is one of those players I just mentioned uh, who, you know, frankly, I think, you know, any of them you could wind up probably getting on waivers within a few weeks of the season. So uh, I think it's a tremendous ADP right now. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by Suzuki at that price. Maybe there's some... Some fear that he didn't come to an agreement that previously was baked into the ADP, but it's it's going to happen. It seems almost certain at this point. Other teams include another team in the NL West. Padres are believed to be among the finalists. The, the Cubs and I think the Mariners are the fourth team that could be in on Suzuki. The Giants' bullpen, 
I think is one area where people are making some pretty strong assumptions. Camilo Doval, clearly a guy they trust. Uh, if you look back at the postseason last year, he had some really high leverage spots and he pitched well in those spots. But I think we might be assuming that they're going to just use their best reliever as the closer. And I'm not sure they're necessarily that kind of team because we just saw Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers top 40 saves combined. So skills wise, I don't know if there's an argument against Camilo Doval, but just in terms of opportunity, do you feel comfortable drafting him in that pick 150 to 175 range where he often goes as people continue to chase closers? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable assuming that Duvall is going to get the, the bulk of the saves. Partly is, you know, DVR, what you mentioned, that that's just not been the pattern. For the Giants, it wasn't the pattern last season. I also just have some concerns about Duvall uh, performance-wise because he's had such a limited amount of exposure in the major leagues. You know, good numbers last year when he pitched. But if you break it down a little bit, did have a, a whiff rate overall of 13.6%, which is which is really good. I mean, it's not something that, you know, is unexpected for, for a high leverage reliever. But the contact rate that he allowed on his pitches in the zone was really high, 89.1%. So what that tells you is that that whiff, whiff rate was really built on deceiving hitters to go out of the zone, particularly on his slider. So what if they figure out the slider? <laughs> you've really got a problem there, uh, you know, in terms of performance. And then you've got at least two alternatives sitting right there with closing experience in McGee and Rogers. So I, yeah, I don't like that, uh, that ADP at all. Yeah. Tough pitcher for me because I, I really want to like him. I want him to be good. I want him to be the guy. I, I want pitchers like this to be closers because it's more exciting than the alternatives. But I think the the Gabe Kapler factor, recent behavior in San Francisco, past behavior in Philadelphia, all of those things just give me that little bit of doubt. And I think the other thing with Doval that I'm really curious to look at is where his walk rate goes. The 8.3% walk rate that he had as a rookie with the Giants over 27 innings last season was the lowest walk rate that he's posted anywhere as a pro. So there may be some control issues here that he's still working through, even though we did not see it in the half season or so worth of innings that Doval was able to give us at the big league level. So it's like a player I like, but I think we're collectively maybe over-projecting his grasp on the closers role, which he simply may not have at all based on how they handled that role throughout the 2021 season. Let's stay in California. Let's go all the way to Southern California, the Southern Southern California. LA counts as Southern California, but Southern <laughs> Southern California is San Diego. And the Padres, they need a bat. There's no uh, no doubt about that. I think that maybe makes things more interesting for one of their top prospects. C.J. Abrams got hurt last year, and if he hadn't missed time, there was a chance he was going to debut for this Padres team. And I think they've shown a little bit of versatility, the unexpected move of Fernando Tatis Jr. to the outfield for a stretch last year. Abrams himself, I think people say he could play up the middle, he could play short, he could move to second, he could play center. He's versatile. Is C.J. Abrams part of the solution here? Because the Padres, in addition to having corner outfield production issues in left field right now, they're not built for the universal DH. And they're already spending a lot of money compared to where the tax has been. So it's not like they're going to easily be able to go out and, and just add more payroll without paying a penalty, barring a change there. So I kind of feel like they have to look internally to solve at least one of their two 
gaping holes offensively. Are you interested in Abrams in redraft leagues at this point? I, you know, not in the sense of like, uh, you know, pursuing a Julio Rodriguez, um, you know, on the late side and, and really expecting uh, him to be able to, to stick on the roster, as, you know, the fantasy roster, be able to stash him uh, because you, uh, there's a good chance he's going to be productive. I mean, with Abrams, I think it's it's more of a, a questionable situation for him. I mean, you make a good point about there being maybe a really clear path to playing time. But, you know, still just 42 games played at the AA level. So even though there's a need, they may not decide to rush him or they may rush him and it might wind up just being a really bad idea. Um, you know, just a, a 112 WRC plus at AA last year. So, you know, there, there could still be work done there. And if he does accumulate a whole bunch of plate appearances, you know, maybe you're getting some steals and, and not really very much else from Abrams. So, you know, it just might be a situation where, you know, you'll get a surprising number of plate appearances from, from jerks and profile, or you'll see Jorge Alfaro in the outfield, um, you know, or, or maybe there'll be another move, like maybe not a big one, but another move made that will, um, you know, put some more bodies on the active roster. Yeah, they are loaded up with guys that can catch, and we have seen Alfaro move out from behind the plate a little bit already, so I I hate to say this for Padres fans, but he might be a bigger part of their their regular lineup than than you'd expect. I mean, Luis Campusano to me is their highest ceiling catcher. I don't know what he has left to prove in the minors. I think you want to play him at the big league level, and that leaves you with Alfaro and Austin Nola and Victor Caratini. Caratini's the Darvish catcher. You have to find a way to make the pieces fit. So maybe the internal solution at DH initially or even in left field is using some of their catching depth that way. Very odd build, but uh, doable in, in certain instances. I think of those catchers, Austin Nola, I guess, is the one that I'm most curious about. Everybody liked him a little more than than I did when he broke in. Injuries were a problem for him last year. He's 32 already. I think that was the fun and surprising part of his breakout was just the age at which that happened but do you think we'll ever see stretches like we saw when he debuted in 2019 in Seattle and and like what he did in the shortened season because that's a that's a pretty good line if that's what he gets back to after a disappointing 2021 yeah I you know I'm again I'm not going to draft for it but I'm not ruling it out so I know I'm not really answering your question DVR but I I just don't want to make the the mistake that I've made so many times which is to have high expectations for a player I was one of those you know fantasy analysts who was much more in on NOLA than you know you were saying that you were Uh, but I don't want to go overboard and you know make the same mistake of, well, I was really high on him and I got really disappointed in 2021. So I'm just not going to have those expectations anymore. So, you know, perhaps with better health this year, we can see what we saw uh, over a good number of, of plate appearances in 2019 and 2020 combined. And then given the state of catching, you're, you're talking about, you know, somebody who maybe winds up being a top five, six, seven catcher. Yeah. And if he's picking up playing time from the DH spot or maybe they're playing a little bit first base, wherever they're actually giving him that playing time, that's great. Maybe there's a higher volume possibility there because of universal DH and some of these constraints that we're talking about. The reason I wanted to bring Nola up, though, is just the the projection systems all point to 2021 as who he is, even though 19 and 20 
are a larger body of work. So I just I find that pretty interesting, and I think that creates an opportunity for us to get an undervalued bat at a position that thins out pretty fast. So I'm definitely warming up to Austin Nola uh, because, again, even if you want to throw out 2020 just for being the weird season, 2019 was even a larger sample than 2021. And splitting the difference, you might have a pretty useful catcher-eligible player on your hands. I think Trenton Grisham's pretty interesting, too. I mean, a former Brewer, he's still just 25, had a heel injury last year and really wasn't the same player after that happened. Uh, there was a really interesting tidbit in his Rotowire player outlook for this year. Grisham had the sixth lowest chase rate among qualified hitters in 2021. I think he's kind of a good at everything except for batting average player sitting in that pick 130, 140 range. And really, it wouldn't surprise me if he was their leadoff guy against righties. And then because he plays center field, uh, maybe against lefties, he drops down in the order. But I think there's a chance he's actually more of an everyday guy than previously people previously thought. Where do we go from here, though, in terms of, of the skills? Is there another level that he's going to unlock? Because age-wise, it should be one more step forward, at least from a power standpoint from Grisham. Could be. You could see that. I, I not certainly expecting it or, or projecting it from Grisham because we, you know, we've we've seen pretty much who he is. And even with that slump late last season with the heel injury, uh, you know, you look at the overall stats and he's really consistent. Uh, yeah, we can give up on the idea of him hitting for power, or I mean, hitting for average rather. But we can expect, um, you know, possibly a, a twenty twenty season, and definitely I would think twenty fifteen. And, you know, that's that's worth something if he's playing every day. And given what the, the Padres' alternatives are right now, I think we, we definitely can expect Grisham to, to play every day and, you know, lead off frequently. So, you know, initially I thought that maybe we as a community were a little too down on Grisham this year compared to where we saw him a year ago. And yet when I look at ADP and I, I look at his cohorts there, he's, you know, pretty much right in the same spot as Austin Meadows. And when I was just thinking about it, even even before looking at ADP, I was thinking, okay, well, where would I expect to see Trent Grisham in ADP? And I thought probably about the same space as Austin Meadows. And <laughs> there they are sitting right next to each other. So he probably is being drafted at the appropriate place. Um, but yeah, yeah, I certainly uh, would be happy to get him there, uh, you know, within the top 140 overall uh, for the speed power combo. Yeah, I'm in where he goes. I, he doesn't have to hit for more power to end up being valuable there. The speed could tick up a little bit too. He could be 25 steals with the 15 home runs. I'll happily take that given the state of stolen bases right now. Uh, any sleeper arms that you like to potentially round out this rotation with all the moves that A.J. Preller and company made over the last couple of seasons? You've got Musgrove and Darvish and Snell. Clevenger coming back. Kind of an open door for the fifth spot because of an injury to Chris Paddock. If Paddock is healthy, I think he's the clear favorite. But are you in on discounted Paddock? Are you in on somebody else, Denelson Lamette, or one of their younger up-and-down arms to possibly emerge as a viable fifth starter? I mean, you know, Mackenzie Gore is still intriguing. Uh, you know, we shouldn't write off somebody completely, uh, you know, based on, on the season. But uh, out of all the contenders for that fifth spot, uh, to me, Paddock is the most intriguing because he's not being taken in a lot of mixed leagues. He's got uh, an FBC ADP over the last month that is just outside the top 400. 
he's been pretty much skills-wise the same guy across his three seasons with the Padres. And you might look at the rookie season and say, well, the the strikeouts were up then, but that was almost entirely a function of him getting more foul, foul balls. When you look at the things that we tend to zero on because they're sticky and because they they correlate with strikeouts, you know, namely you know swinging strikes and called strikes, he's been the same guy three years running. So a healthy paddock is, you know, if not what you saw last year, you know, probably what you saw in uh, in 2020 uh, and, and going into 2021, people were, were still pretty excited about that pitcher. Yeah, I liked him until until it was clear, like the end of season injury for him, you know, it was another elbow problem. He had a PRP injection. They're calling it a slight UCL sprain. Paddock, of course, had Tommy John surgery as a prospect. That was back in 2016. So he's kind of out of what they call the the honeymoon phase. I think they say it's like, what, a four or five year window after Tommy John where you're less likely to suffer a tear. He's kind of exited that phase. And I think that gives me just that extra little bit of doubt about him. At the price, though, like you take the shot. If he's healthy, you're happy. If he's not, you could move on pretty easily. So I completely understand it. And I agree with the analysis from a skills standpoint. I think the ERA was probably going to come down based on what he's still doing with that control, still missing a decent number of bats. Hopefully the PRP treatment works in this case for Chris Paddock. Uh, This is another situation where we've got a messy, messy bullpen. Emilio Pagan is still there. Uh, Robert Suarez, who was pitching in Japan for the last couple of seasons and not walking anybody, he's there. Luis Garcia, formerly of the Cardinals, is there. Austin Adams, I think, has flashed being an interesting reliever in the past. Drew Pomeran, still under contract, currently hurt. I think if he were healthy, he could be the favorite for this job. And I didn't even name a few of these guys. Pierce Johnson's there. Pierce Johnson was really good last year. Or Denilson Lamette, who you, you threw into the mix as a possibility. Are you drafting any of these guys right now, hoping to get it right in the San Diego bullpen? And if so, who do you like most? I'd say I like Pagan the most. But yeah, it's a deep bullpen again. It seems like every year, the last few years, they've had a very deep bullpen. So it's certainly one where uh, in spring training, whenever that happens, if you start to get an, an indication of somebody um, you know, getting the bulk of the saves, that that's somebody, whoever, pretty much whoever it is out of those candidates, uh, you could see their their ADP rise a lot. And I'll be honest, and I kind of forgot about Austin Adams in that mix. I mean, I was real excited about him a couple of years ago as a, a closer in waiting. So you know, it, there's just you know too too many good arms in that bullpen. I mean, somebody you didn't even mention, Craig Stammen, who used to be, you know, very high on that depth chart, and now is actually on um, roster resource. He's at the very bottom, so just top to bottom depth there. And um, you know, because of that, I probably wouldn't be targeting Pagan as uh, as maybe if I were really sitting back on closers, maybe as an RP two at best. Uh, but yeah, out of all the candidates, I think he's got the the best chance to um, you know to come away with you know, maybe 15, 20 saves. Yeah, and I think as I look at Austin Adams, I've always been intrigued by the strikeout potential. He was throwing his slider 87% of the time last year. He's basically the Matt Whistler of the Padres bullpen where that, that specialist, that works as a guy that you use in the right spot. It's not usually going to be a profile you see on an actual closer. So I've I've removed him from the list, which probably makes him a better option for everybody else. But I, I think <laughs> I think I'm going to safely say that he's he's not the guy, even though he's a nice piece to have in your bullpen. It's probably not him. 
I think Luis Garcia is where I'm taking my early shots. He's basically free, and I do see some similarities in his profile to Mark Melanson, older guy that's just been around for a while. I, I, I think the Padres, I think they are one of those teams that wants to angle more towards one closer, but we'll see if they're able to. They simply might not have the option, depending on how, how well this group can perform. The, uh, the I want to move on to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are a huge disappointment to me because this time last year, I thought they were the third best team in the West. I thought they would win more games than the Giants. I know that sounds really stupid right now because the Giants ended up being much better than I think everybody thought. But I think there's bounce-back potential in this team. And if I believe there's bounce-back potential in this team, then there have to be some guys that either step up into new roles or guys that bounce back from disappointing 2021s to actually make that happen. One thing that I think they are going to do differently is they're going to play Dalton Varsho. And they're going to play Dalton Varsho a lot. Because once they started doing that in the second half, he was great last year. He's being drafted really high. We talked about this on Under the Radar on Friday. I think Dalton Varsho is firmly into the... I don't think I'll draft him in snake drafts range, but I'm very interested in dollar-for-dollar dollar auction scenarios because the ADP in February sits at right about pick 90 right now. So he's ahead of Yasmani Grandal by a couple of picks. He's ahead of Wilson Contreras. And I think it's okay from a playing time perspective. It's, there's a chance he plays more than both of those guys because Dalton Varsho could be an everyday outfielder in Arizona, but are you willing to pay that steep price in snake draft scenarios for a catcher that can do a little bit of everything and, and maybe you could even have a, a maximum amount of playing time because of his versatility? There's absolutely no way. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no way. Uh, yeah, ahead of, of Grandal and Contreras, I, I just can't justify it. You know, a couple of catchers that you can be very, very certain are going to give you some power and produce uh, runs very well, you know, relative to the catcher position. Uh, and Varsho is just, it's he's a, a big question mark. I, I would agree, because I, what I hear you insinuating is that the playing time is probably not going to be an issue for Varsho, and I would agree with that. I mean, given that he did play very steadily down the stretch last year. But in terms of how he's going to hold up over the, the course of an entire season for the first time, I'm not willing to to pass up on Grandal and Contreras to take the risk that um, you know in that scenario he's he's going to produce more than them. Uh, I mean, the only way is just if for some reason you, you just really value the steals. But you know he could come away with I don't know. I think projection systems have him around like ten steals. And Contreras, I think, got six last year. I should probably look these things up before I say them out loud, but I'm pretty confident in that. Um, I mean, so for, you know, what's potentially maybe a four or five steel difference. Um, yeah, I, I can't can't get on board with that. I will say, though, that the I think the projections are light on playing time for Varsho. I think the, the market is right for correcting the volume of playing time for Varsho. I think my issue is less about how he stacks up to the other catchers. It's more about the other players that go in that range. I I just expect more overall value from 
Chris Bryant and Cody Bellinger or on the pitching side, Frankie Montas, or on the hitting side, Carlos Correa. I mean, that Charlie Morton goes in this range. You Darvish goes in this range. That's a group of players that I really like that sit there. Justin Verlander, Anthony Rendon. There's a lot of, of established veteran guys that aren't so far past their peak where where that I, I, I just I see those guys as a lot mostly like early rounders again I understand like Morton and Darvish carry really old guy pitcher risk mm-hmm. but there's a much safer floor across the board that I I'd like in those other hitters profiles and that that's kind of what's pushing me out on var show like, I, I can I could talk myself into Contreras maybe not being as good as he was a couple of years ago and Grandal because of his knee losing some playing time and being a batting average liability. But the Grandal thing that I can't get over, and I'm sure we'll talk about him more on the AL Central episode, the power output. Once he came back from that injury last year, he ended up with 23 homers in 375 plate appearances. I mean, that's more of like a 35 to 40 home run pace. Quietly, kind of doing some things to keep the K rate down. It, he's still in that like low twenties range that he was in in Milwaukee, so I really like that. There's just a lot of ways that Grandal could exceed expectations too. So, um, of those two catchers going near him, I do think Grandal is is the the better of the two by a decent margin. And with Varsho, I think it just comes down to how wrong are the projections about the playing time because they they seem wrong. They seem light I who's going to take playing time from him is really the the question I would throw out there to to anybody and I think we're going to see Alec Thomas this year he had a great year split between double a AA and triple a there's a clear path to put him in one of the corner spots David Peralta is still there you could look at like Paven Smith and say that you want to play him a lot but he could play some first base he could be in the first base DH mix you've got Seth Beer coming off of shoulder surgery but let's just say they don't really add anybody. What what's the problem for Varsha? Like there there really isn't one from a playing time yeah. perspective. No, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, and yeah, I was actually just looking at those projections. And yeah, I, I gave um, Contreras credit for uh, one more steal than he actually got. But nah. um, <laughs> but I still think you know you prorate some of those projections, and you know maybe you're looking at Varsha as an eleven or twelve steal guy. So you know the projections could obviously be wrong about that too, but. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to bank on much more than that. So I, I, I don't see the upside in foregoing a, a Grandal to to get Varsho and you know potentially twelve to ten to twelve steals. So you add another spot for for DH that opens up the time we're hoping for for Smith and, and Walker. And again, like they can coexist. Seth Beer, shoulder permitting, could be a part of the mix. Jordan Liplau ended up in Arizona. Is there any path for him to play more than on the small side of a platoon? Like he's been around for a while. It's never really happened for him as an everyday player, but on a per-plate appearance basis, he's shown a good bit of power, especially in 2019 in Cleveland. But even last year, split between Cleveland and Tampa Bay, he popped 11 homers and 193 plate appearances. I think there is. And he had good splits last year, so I don't think that that has to be a uh... Uh, an obstacle for playing time for loop low. Uh, I think the bigger issue is just hitting enough other than, you know, popping homers. And I was really surprised actually to see that the projection systems, you know, have them like hit batting 235, 240 in that neighborhood because he's only had one season so far where he's hit above 205. And that definitely looked like a fluke. Um, 
So it just may be more of an issue of, you know, if he does get that regular playing time and he's straddling the Mendoza line that the Diamondbacks just may be, you know, looking at pretty much anywhere for, for options to, to put him back on the bench. I was really surprised looking at the Bat-X projections for Diamondbacks hitters to see Luplau as the second best hitter on their roster with a 109 WRC+. Plus. Like that, That's what got me thinking. I'm like, wait, am I, am I missing something with this player? Is there a reason to believe that in you know, draft and hold or NL only that we could end up with a surplus playing time? Not that he's going to become you know, shallow mixed league relevant even if he does play a lot more, but maybe he's the kind of guy that we're talking about as a reserve right now who ends up being like an $8 NL only player. Those players matter to some of the uh, people out there like me who are strange enough to play in mono leagues <laughs> in the year 2022, but mono leagues are fun. They are. The, the last question I have for you though, goes back to Christian Walker. Is he undervalued right now or is he appropriately valued as a player who might just be following a pretty normal aging curve? I think it is the latter. Um, and I, you'd put something in our notes about, um, you know, potential for 23, 25 home run power. I think that's the best case scenario and, and maybe really being being generous because, yeah, he did have that uh, 29 homer season in the, the first year where he really played as a regular for the Diamondbacks back in, in 2019. Uh, you know, so maybe you have the rabbit ball as an explanation or at least a partial explanation for that. But whether you do or you don't, I mean, you've got the 2020 season. And again, you and I, DVR, we've talked about this and, you know, my tendency is to throw that out unless it it acts as confirmation for something we saw last year. And he had identical barrel rates in 20 and 21, 6.4%. So really just over half of the barrel rate that he had in 2019, 11.5%. So that that's very much looking like the outlier for uh, for Walker, and if he's not giving you a chance at 25 homers, then yeah, I I don't think that he's really all that that mixed league viable. Yeah, I just um, I look at him and I'm like, well, if he's playing a lot, he's probably in the heart of their order, so he could sneakily provide a bunch of runs and RBIs if it comes back. But I, I think you you're right to point out some of these issues with the quality of the contact because what was happening in in 2019 is starting to look a little more like an outlier it's like the pick 400 range so if you take him in a league where you can make moves you can very easily cut him loose if you don't like what you see but i think you're probably right to look more in the 15 to 20 home run range than my more optimistic hey maybe there's 25 here sort of uh mindset let's go to the rockies and this is a team also looking at the team projections Two hitters projected above a 100 WRC+. plus. That, of course, would be C.J. Crone and Charlie Blackman, which just led me to a very broad question. Health permitting, who else can reach or top 500 plate appearances currently on this depth chart? Uh, well, I, I think definitely um, Ryan McMahon. And in fact, I mean, he wasn't too far off of that um, that threshold of 100 uh, WRC+. plus. He was somewhere in the, the 90s a year ago. And I think there's upside from what McMahon showed last year and from what he's shown previously. So uh, to me, he's, you know, somebody that as long as he's healthy, he'll, um, you know, he'll, he'll play regularly and get you, you know, easily 500 plate appearances. Uh, same thing, you know, with uh, Brendan Rogers, you know, health permitting. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Connor Joe's got a shot at it. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, you know, Rymel Tapia as well. Uh, I don't see anybody really displacing either one of them in terms of playing time, and I don't see the performance being enough of an issue either. Yeah, I know it was only 63 games last year, but what we saw from Connor Joe was really interesting. What we've seen from him in the upper levels of the minor leagues in terms of of plate skills and a little bit of pop, good hit tool, that makes me intrigued, especially in that ballpark. Even if the playing time comes out a tick lighter, I think he could end up being useful as like a, a weekly streamer or someone that you're picking up and dropping on occasion just to max out the time that he's playing series at home. Tapia, I think, came to the front of my mind just a couple of days ago. I'm doing a slow draft right now where you know Miles Straw went quite a bit earlier. And I just started thinking like, okay, Rymel Tapia has clear limitations as a big league player. But if this team is lacking in talent to the same degree it was a year ago, and they let him lead off against righties, and they give him green lights on the base paths, like a cheap 20 steals guy with a good average and non-zero power that goes in this range, going in the, I don't know, pick 300 or so overall range, that's a pretty nice discount compared to what it's going to take to get Miles Straw. And I think the the, the pro-Straw arguments are clear to me, Al. Like he's, he's a great defender in center field. That's going to drive playing time. Cleveland's terrible at developing outfielders, so there's probably not a lot of internal pressure on him. And instead of being a 20-steal guy like Tapia was last year, I think you can convince yourself that Miles Straw could be more of like a 35 or 40-steal guy. So that, to me, explains the price difference. But just from how they, they function, like what they are as players, as hitters especially, I don't think they're that different, especially when you get to play Tapia in Colorado for half his games. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, although if a similar discussion comes up again, I'm definitely going with straw man argument over pro straw argument. But um, <laughs> but you knew I would. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I'm not surprised. 
<laughs> like, yeah, you know, I, I, going into last year, I think I had more concerns about uh, Tapia's playing time and part of what you alluded to that, yeah, he'll he'll likely lead off against righties, but, you know, not, not necessarily against lefties. And so there, that may cut into his plate appearances a bit. And also there's just a lot of juggling of outfielders uh, back in, in, in 2020. But at this point, the depth is so thin that um, I'm not I'm not as worried about Tapia's playing time and his ability to compile those, you know, 20 steals that you were alluding to. So I agree. I don't think there's that much difference. I think actually Tapia's probably got the greater upside in terms of batting average. So maybe that all kind of evens out and they wind up overall, you know, being kind of the same value, same player in terms of value. So, yeah. yeah I think as I look at this depth chart, Tapia is one of the late speed darts I'm willing to throw at the price. I don't want to push him up. I don't think there's another level coming. I think it's more just a slight discount on a player that can repeat what he did a year ago. Ryan McMahon is the Rocky that for, I think, the second year in a row, I want to have on as many teams as possible. I think he's showing continued growth in his profile. I think we could see a little more power. I think we saw... Just last year, we saw the lowest K rate of his career. I'm not going to count his brief 24-plate appearance debut in 2017. A 24.7% K rate, still drawing plenty of walks. Got the 23 home runs last year, even stole six bases. I think there's one more level, a high 20s, even maybe a low 30s home run uh, possible output from Ryan McMahon if, if everything falls into place. I know it's... It's wish casting a little bit, but for a guy who's second and third base eligible, where he goes especially, you'll be okay if he doesn't make the leap. But we've seen the barrel rate creep up in the shortened season. 7.3% last year certainly isn't bad. Launch angle went up last year. It just seems like everything's starting to fall into place for Ryan McMahon. I see it exactly the same way, DVR. And, and I mean, if we're going to call it wish casting, I think at least it's wish casting with, with some reasoning behind it. Uh, because if you look at you know, where he's being projected. I mean, nobody is buying the full um, improvement in the K rate. So they're all predicting some regression, uh, some systems more than others, and, you know, which is, which is what a projection system should do. But if he doesn't regress as much as some of the systems do, and if he, if he bounces back in BABIP, which I think from a 306 last year, which is very normal for a Rockies hitter who can realistically expect to hit, you know, 323, 30 at home on batted balls, um, yeah, I, I think that's some batting average improvement, uh, could be, could be in the offing for this year, uh, along with, um, you know, a little bit of increase in power that you were alluding to. So I'm, I'm with you hundred percent on Ryan McMahon. Hey, glad we agree on, uh, on something. <laughs> we, we, we haven't agreed on a ton of things on this episode, which is fine. It's go. good, good to have opposite sides on, on some of these takes. The other player I like on this team is Brendan Rodgers. I think one of the flaws that people have pointed out in him, though, is that he doesn't run and he plays a position where you really like to get some stolen bases, right? I mean, you don't want to fill the middle infield spots with guys that give you a zero in that category. It is surprising, right, for a middle infielder. You just think of guys that move really well. Even just a handful of bags, but Brendan Rodgers played 134 games in the big leagues, and he's never attempted a stolen base. So uh, over under 0.5 stolen bases for Brendan Rodgers this season, Al. Uh, I'll take the over. (laughs) Not that it's uh, an impactful situation, but where do we go from here as a hitter? Because 2021 was his first full healthy big league season 
415 plate appearances. Playing time for him really shouldn't be a problem whatsoever. If you prorate what he did last year, a low 20s home run season is already within reach. And I think there's probably more of a batting average floor for Rodgers than there is for McMahon because we're talking about a guy that puts the ball in play more often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're going to you know give some other players this the same age uh, range, you know, 25, uh, the, the benefit of the doubt, then I think Rodgers deserves it too. I mean, you know, last year was the, the closest that he's had to a, a full season in the majors. And, you know, why not think that there is room for a, a little bit more power and, you know, for him to, you know, who knows, you know, could get maybe four steals even. Um, so, uh, you know, where he hits in the lineup should should be a good run producer. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I uh, expect him to improve just like I do with McMahon. Brendan Rodgers was 12 of 15 as a base stealer as a 21-year-old at AA back in 2018. And that was only over 95 games. So he was efficient. He had double-digit bags. I know running against AA batteries is not the same as running against big league batteries. But I, I think I would definitely, if I could find it, if I could bet it somewhere, I would smash the over on uh, 0.5 steals. I'd probably I'd probably take over like three and a half steals. I, I think he'll actually wow. be, yeah, going, going wild. This team is going to have to find ways to manufacture runs, clearly, right? Like they, they're, they're a bad team, like almost offensively bad for a professional team. Not, not the fault of the individual players who were there. It's the fault of the people that built this thing. With Rodgers... I mean, if he gets 600 plate appearances, which is a huge if based on his health track record, the counting stats could be good. The power could be there in the form of a 20 home run guy. And maybe we're talking about seven or eight steals. He's going to be going, I don't know, probably a little closer to where Dansby Swanson goes this time next year. So a little bit undervalued in the pick 150 range right now. Swanson goes around pick 115. So I, I think you do get a little bit of value on Rodgers if you wait to address shortstop or if you want to use him as a middle infield filler. They do have a catcher that's pretty interesting. Uh, Elias Diaz has had one of the more unusual careers I think I've ever seen year over year in terms of actual just real-life value. And in Colorado, the floor is much, much better for him as a hitter. But this is a guy that's had two seasons where he's been a full win below replacement level. And he's got two seasons where he's been more than a full win above replacement level. So somehow a really high variance player, (laughs) even though he puts a lot of balls in play. Diaz Diaz has a career 16.8% K rate in more than 1,200 big league plate appearances. He's the starter in Colorado. How much does he play? Because I think there's a chance that he's maybe among the league leaders in playing time at the position, even though I don't think he's getting up to the 500 plate appearance range where only the likes of Salvador Perez and JT Realmuto and, and Will Smith tend to live. Yeah. Um, but I think that the projections on Diaz's playing time maybe are a little bit conservative. You know, they've all got him in like the three fifty ish range, you know, give or take. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him go over 400. And yeah, a catcher, that that makes him one of the, the bigger compilers at the position. So, um, and then, you know, hitting the course gives him a chance to, to compile even more. Um, so I, the thing is, I'm not really sure that I, 
I'm really that excited about him because despite the good contact skills, I do think that the um, the batting average ceiling is really limited, which is, you know, unfortunately, unless you're talking about Jorge Alfaro, that's what you're talking about with catchers who typically don't get, uh, you know, many hits on balls in play, don't get many infield hits. Uh, so I think there's there's limited, uh, you know, batting average upside for Diaz. I, I don't see him really repeating uh, what he did last year, you know, power wise with with 18 home runs, even if he does play a little bit more. So you're talking about somebody and I, I guess I basically I agree with the projection systems on the the power, you know, in the 12 to 15 home run range. But I think that they're all maybe a little optimistic about the batting average where they've all got Diaz hitting around 260. And at that point, he you really can't distinguish him from kind of the blob of, you know, mid to lower round catchers uh, just looking at where he is in ADP uh, Sean Murphy, Alejandro Kirk, Mike Zanino, Gary Sanchez. Um, <laughs> uh, I would certainly rather have Zanino who's actually going later than Diaz. Yeah, But I, I mean, think that, I think that is roughly where he does belong. I think in, in like the, the shallow one catcher leagues, you could look at Diaz as on again, off again for your roster. You yeah. Use him at home try to either bench him or drop him in the pick him back up after he goes through a road trip. But I, I do think there's a nice foundation there and a lot of playing time, which could make him a sneaky value accumulator at his position. Uh, one last question for you before we go. Can you make a case to draft a single Colorado pitcher at their typical ADP? No, I cannot make an argument to draft a single Colorado pitcher. I can make an argument to draft three Colorado pitchers. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Hold my beer and and set up the beer (laughs) bong for me because I would like to drink a pitcher of beer very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I figured when you said we've been disagreeing a lot, I figured I think there's probably going to be one more disagreement here. Uh, But, you know, I've year after year um, liked Herman Marquez more than, you know, most people. So I just, you know, he's been been pretty consistent. And I know that even in, uh, you know, this environment, in this offensive environment, that an ERA in the upper threes isn't all that exciting. But with the consistent innings that Marquez gives you, I think there there is some value there. And then I was very excited by what Kyle Freeland did down the stretch last year. Um, had a season start late because of a shoulder injury, wasn't very good initially, but then really from late June forward, really locked it in 18 starts to finish the season, a 3.24 ERA, uh, a 22.7% K rate, which isn't great, but better than what we're used to from Freeland and 11 quality starts. So, you know, going deep, very consistently into games with only giving up one or two runs, or in some cases, no runs. Uh, and it did this over, you know, more than half the season. So I I don't mind Kyle Freeland as a late round flyer. And I also don't mind Austin Gomber as a late round flyer. And he's obviously more of a health risk um, dealing with, with the back injury um, that, that really kind of ruined his season towards the end. But before that, he was looking really good and really consistent. So I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on any of those three pitchers. Yeah, I got Gombered last season. All I got was this <laughs> lousy T-shirt. But like the skills, don't like the the situation. I mean, I think with Marquez, like I I think he's a really good pitcher in just the worst of the worst situation. The bat has him projected for a four eighty five ERA and a one forty three WHIP. If you put him in a neutral park and he didn't have to deal with going in and out of Coors, I, I think I would say. What he did in 18 
is probably doable or what he did in the shortened season in 2020 is still very doable with room for further improvement. I mean, I think that's the type of a pitcher he could, he could still be, but the situation is just brutal. The price isn't bad in, in fairness. Like he's just outside the top 250 overall. Yeah. Freeland is free and like no one's, no one's chasing him at all. Right. And even Gomber for the success that he had last year doesn't cost much. I think the, the other passing thought I have with the Rockies is that if you're in a deep enough league bench-wise, you can probably roster one of these pitchers and it doesn't really hurt you. But I feel like when you have a pitcher that you know you can't use all the time at Marquez's price, it starts to hurt you quite a bit. Like it, you, you st- it, You're close to streaming range there, but you can't, you can't get away with having a lot of pitchers on your roster that you're not using more often than not. Well, that's that's a really good point, and that's when I have had Marquez. That's been the issue is that I've you know, wound up you know dropping him or you know winding up you know streaming him on and off when when I've been able to. So you know that that is a good point. But um, the one thing I would point out with him in terms of the the situation that you pointed out, I think he's re- he's made the most of it. I'm not sure that that's been his problem in his off years because the the home run per nine ratio the last four seasons one point one zero one point five zero. 0.66, 1.05. Now the 0.66, an outlier. That was the short 2020 season. Uh, but other than the 1.50, all you know, better than average home run ratios. Uh, but in each of the last three seasons, a strand rate that's been below 70%. Now, is that a, a skill he's lacking <laughs> to strand runners or, or the bullpen's fault? I mean, maybe, but it, it could easily just be a fluke thing. And could you know you could see the ERA adjust to that you know mid to lower threes that the ERA estimators see him at? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. The 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 career numbers for him in left on base percentage are a little low in general. It's very strange. Seventy one point one percent for his career, sub seventy percent last three years running. Something's going on there. I I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly what it is, but I just want him to get traded. That's that's what I want. I want the Rockies to trade him to literally anyone because then we have another really interesting pitcher on our hands. I just can't get there. Despite your arguments, I, I cannot get there and uh, <laughs> commit myself to taking a Colorado pitcher. But we have to go. Before we go, I've got a special deal to pass along. The Athletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast will get you a subscription for $1 a month for the next six months if you're not already a subscriber. So it's a great time to get in. Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit launching soon. Lots of great stuff coming up as the lockout hopefully eventually comes to a close. Plus other sports, you know, they're still happening. They're not locked out. So be sure to uh, check that out. On Twitter, you can find Al at LMilkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with you Friday with Under the Radar. Under the Radar.